bought a mic. We bought the death of movie theaters for 2021. How to make small talk. How to podcast. Drugs and adolescence. Hello, everybody. Welcome to We Bought, Bought a Mike, a pop culture podcast <laughs> with some. Uh, it's like we're finishing each other's podcast. podcast. Hey, oh, I was shit. gonna hear that. With some ketchup today, some delicious, delicious ketchup. Um, a, a nice brisk December night. It is. I'm in actually, Florida. I had the same reaction I have every year in Florida, which is right when it gets cold. I'm like, oh god, fuck no, because I've been working really early this week, and I, you know, I I step outside at like 7:45 in the morning, and I'm like, oh my, <laughs> I want to kill myself. But then, like, just on a night like tonight, I'm walking around like this is how it should be in the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. I, I was there, gonna it say it shouldn't be 80. Five degrees and humid in fucking uh, December, mm-hmm. you know, and it's going to be probably mm-hmm. in like three days, <laughs> and not I'm... like trudging through snow either, which is what some other people have to do. I'd with. be fine. I would take that over, like whenever it's eighty-five degrees, and you're like, ah, Merry Christmas. I I hate that shit. I uh, love it in the mornings now. I like let my dog outside. I sometimes I'll stand outside in like the forty two degree weather with like a nice cup of coffee mm. I'm like this is the perfect way to start my day i need to get the fuck out of florida mm. welcome to the show i'm Ernest. i am somber hunt hunter and hello oh no it's just it's just <laughs> did you lose your voice and I'm Skimble Shanks, baby. Oh, oh no, he's shit. back. Oh god, come on, Cats twenty, Cats twenty nineteen coming also at our, HBO Max right now. Our special guest today is a metal monolith. <laughs> Just popped up right here mysteriously overnight in the podcast studio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem to want to chime in. Oh no, he's lighting up a cigarette. Oh, he disappeared. Hey, guys, That's I'm crazy. The metal monolith. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's don't a really good Romanian here. accent that you have, Drew. That's crazy. Is that what they are? <laughs> that's where the they're Romanian is. Romanian monoliths. <laughs> um. So today we have some sad news. We've been talking about the end of movie going, the death of movie going, a little bit here and there. Last time we brought this up, it was the news that um. Wonder Woman was going straight to HBO Max on Christmas Day. Big deal. And now, essentially, that has been extended to the entirety of Warner Brothers' movie slate for Which 2021. Which includes, why don't you read, I mean, it's Matrix 4. Well, yeah, Matrix 4 is right now scheduled for end of 2021. That might change. Is this Bond? No. No. Okay. no, no. no. The big ones are are um, Dune, yeah. um, In the Heights. Yeah, that's big. And there's a bunch of other yeah, ones. There's, there's a whole bunch. Can of you imagine releases. a Spielberg movie going straight to uh, a tertiary streaming platform? You're you're thinking of um, yeah, you're thinking of West Side Story. West Side Story. Who's doing yeah. in the house? Uh, this is a Lin Manuel Miranda joint. He's directing. No, it's directed by the guy who did. Thank um, God, he's not directing. <laughs> 
Jesus. Look, he's it's, not going to throw his way away his directorial shot. Uh, honey, if he's directing, he's starring. <laughs> I'll it's, tell you that much. It's the guy who did um, Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's still a bummer then. But the the, the thing is, Suicide that, Squad is another one. That's of the, big the ones other that's one I was there. thinking. No. Yeah. Um. Which, or excuse me, the Suicide Squad. Um. <laughs> Space me? Jam colon a new legacy. So uh, some of the, a lot of these movies, like when you look up the full list of all of them who are going to, they're still going to premiere in theaters, but but they'll they're be, HBO Max at the same time, at the same like, day. Yeah, at, yeah, not it's not like on demand a few months later. It's it's HBO Max at release, which is the same thing that Wonder Woman is doing. So essentially, yeah. they're just kind of replicating that. I, I kind of feel like maybe when they made that announcement about Wonder Woman, subscriptions for HBO Max must have like ticked up a little bit. Yeah. Probably, and then they yeah. made this call um, because they're just saying like, all right, every movie, every single movie on our 2021 slate. Day yeah. And date. Look, it seems like HBO is getting a little smarter with mm-hmm. their shit because they also made it so that if you have any HBO subscription, you also have HBO Max recently. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a huge thing. Uh, I think maybe they realized that the Snyder Cut wouldn't <laughs> bring in. <laughs> they like, did not. They get actually they <laughs> lost subscribers and they announced yeah. the Snyder Cut. Was the going Snyder to Cut is Max. actually off of HBO Max. It's a theater only <laughs> yeah. experience now, but it's still an HBO Max original. You have somehow. to test positive for COVID to go into the theater <laughs> yeah. to see that. You have to be on your deathbed to actually want to see that. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, no, I think that you're right that they definitely saw an uptick in subscribers. Um also, HBO Max, like I said that they would uh, about a month or two ago, whenever before the Wonder Woman news was announced, um, HBO Max is now available on Amazon uh, devices. So like Firestick and stuff like that. It's in the works. They're trying to figure out something with Roku. I will say I'll talk more about it next week, but I got a PS5. There's not an HBO Max app on the PS5. There's got to be. Come on. There's one on no, PS4. There's, no, exactly. They haven't built. They haven't like redesigned That's the app to work for the new OS. Um, so like they still have to kind of work out the kinks of everything. I am surprised they made this announcement before Wonder Woman was released. I would expect like. I kind of had a feeling that they might do something like this because they don't want to just have to keep kicking the can down the road. And then eventually when theaters do reopen, they're just eating into themselves because they're competing with other Warner Brothers movies, trying to stack all these movies on top of each other. Yeah, they they, I mean, they must have some pretty reliable forecasting that's saying that, like, when theaters reopen, people aren't just going to be like flooding to the theaters, which not immediately. I believe. I mean, people weren't going anyway. It depends on the movie. Mm -hmm. I I think that when you look at this slate, there's no surefire bets here. Like, that's the thing is like, if we were talking about Disney, it would be a different story. Yeah. Because you got all the Marvel shit. Like all of that shit is going to do well, no matter what. But Warner, they don't, they don't really have that. Like Dune this, is absolutely not a guarantee to make. Exactly. I mean, look at look Suicide at Blade Runner twenty forty nine. That Dune, was a commercial bomb. It, yeah, and Suicide Squad. What was the box office for Suicide it Squad? Did well. I know it made. It did well. Okay, it made a seven forty six. Yeah, uh, that's great. Domestic. So that's probably the biggest thing that isn't going there. But then again, DC films, aside from Wonder Woman, have been progressively going downwards mm-hmm. since bvs except for joker joker yes, was massive that's, that's kind of i almost think that's like separate from the dceu 
You're that's a big, not you're like, a big auteur theory guy. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm a big Todd. I think Todd yeah. Phillips is a cinematic genius. Mm-hmm. Todd, Go back and listen to our Joker podcast if you don't believe me. Todd Todd Phillips would never want an HBO Max original film to yeah. taint his filmography. He's just like, you know what? If you put Joker straight to HBO Max, Joker 2 straight to HBO Max, then I do get all of the money for Hangover 4. Mm. But I, I think that the, the point I was trying to get at is like they're because there's no surefire bet they have to just make this call because otherwise they would just keep making the tenant mistake over and over and over it would just be the same story of them like trying to like scramble to get people to go to the movies to get a small cut of what they would get in a non-pandemic release so this way they're just kind of like not cutting their losses but something short of that and just saying, like, look, you're going to be able to see this movie. You can either see it at home or you can go to the theater. You have the option, which is great because that's what we want. We want to see these movies. And for it to be, uh, oh, you have to risk your health to go to the theater um, or you have to sacrifice the movie going experience uh, and just see it at home to be able to kind of have both. I think is a win. Yeah. Um, It's just them hedging their bets on just having like, we have this backup. If maybe the vaccine isn't widely available in three months that we don't just have to keep playing this game of kicking it down the road every three months when it's like, ah, things still aren't looking great. (laughs) We're right in the middle of a second wave right now. It is going to be interesting to see like which of these movies actually do well in the theater with the HBO max option, because I'm I'm only going to say this once, but I'm going to go for HBO Max, I think. Like- I, for for pretty much all of these, yes. I would say the only other one, the only ones I would go to the theater are Dune and In the Heights. Mm. I might do, I mean, I might see if there's like a matinee to see Wonder Woman in the theaters, like maybe a little bit later that isn't as packed. Because I do not want to go to a packed theater. I really like the first Wonder Woman a lot, but it's not worth that yeah. kind of a risk even, to go there. Even Matrix 4, like the thought of people watching <sighs> Matrix 4 on a fucking computer is like mind-boggling. Uh, it's a little meta <laughs> if you think about it. Hunter's going to watch it on his like smartwatch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to be like... like a hologram coming out of his smartwatch. <laughs> no, man, that's the way that Denis Villeneuve intended for his movies to be seen is mm. on your watch. It. A lot of people are saying that this is like the death of movie theaters. I think that it is a death. I I do think that the industry is going to continue to suffer a lot because a lot of people are just going to choose to not go to the movies if they have the option to see it. They already already have been choosing not to go to movies. Movies are becoming very obsolete because there's infinite content available to every human being on a pretty decent screen at their house at any given moment. Mm -hmm. Like, this is an inevitability. I'm very sorry to movie theaters. I hate to say it, but like, Jesus Christ. We, We care a lot about like, the you know the big screen and Dolby and the resolution and the and crowd. Ninety percent of people do not give a single shit about that. They'll go with their friends to see Avengers. Like exactly movies. Like there will be less movie theaters, and I think that's okay. It's a part of the fact that everything is digital now. And well, it's a fact of. I mean, it just kind of it's life reflect. Finally, like catching up to what the industry has become which it's small indie films and it's 200 million dollar films 200 million dollar films when theaters do safely reopen hopefully sooner rather than later like if they released another 
Marvel movie that is good, it will make a billion dollars mm-hmm. in theaters. Yeah. Like, it, there's not a question in my mind. Like, that's why movie theaters will remain around is for those. And otherwise, we might actually see a lot of the Regals and AMC showing down, but there might be more kind of boutique art house theaters opening up to show like the Never Early, Sometimes Always that came out this year or Minari, some of those A24 films, things like that that are smaller, five to 10 million or less budget. Mm -hmm. Because then, I mean, they have just so much less overhead that they have to cover and then they can promise people, I mean, whether it's the Alamo Draft House model or whatever, that's just like, you come here for the experience. You come here for drinks and food and also to see a new film yeah you can you come here because you care about movies and yes. they need they need they need to cater more so to that crowd than like the normies mm. like make the movie Specialize going ex- your audience yeah make the make the movie going experience as good as possible for the people who love movies not for the people who just find it as like a thing to do you know because those people aren't going to they're not going to advocate for your industry for your industry's survival mm-hmm. you know like it's indifferent to them i had a, a like a sad moment uh i think it was last week when like a movie pass was trending on twitter mm-hmm. for like a few hours and people were just like giving their like movie pass stories and it like sent me back to like the summer that we started doing this podcast in 2017 where we just all had movie pass and i would just go see like 10 movies in the theater a week and, and then the because, summer like, after that when it shut I saw down so much just shit in theaters because i was like why not it's free huh? yeah i can just and go when tom cruise killed movie pass with mission impossible <laughs> fallout it all crumbled i mean that makes me think like could there be some sort of deal where with my hbo max subscription i could go to all of these movies in the theater for free not for that free. would be great they i mean they, they could actually do something like that um to promote like maybe warner has some kind of a deal that they work out it would have to be with one specific chain so either regal or amc where it's like if you have an hbo max prescription subscription you can buy it through the app it'll be like a five dollar ticket as Ooh. opposed to like a 10 or a 12 dollar ticket give it to me give it to me well hopefully things will be okay i'm sure everything will will work itself out it's just it's a big deal, you know? It's a little worrisome. Um, but I'm not I'm sure... as doom and gloom as a lot of other people are, though, about it. Like, I still I still think that movie theaters will exist in some form or fashion. There's going to be changed yeah. forever. There's and not going to be one in, like, about. every shopping mall. Yeah. There, not, there well, malls are dying anyway, yeah, exactly. so that malls was kind of a suck. dead model. <laughs> and the theaters in them are, obs- are not good for the most part, so. Let's get to ketchup. I have a bunch of things that I wrote down, so let me try to get through them as quickly as possible. Um, first up, how to with John Wilson mm-hmm. on so, HBO. Uh, I have a question. I didn't do any research. Is the season over or yes. is it still ongoing? So the only six episodes mm-hmm. came out. Is Do you think that's because of COVID? It was shortened? Six episodes is nothing. Um, so I don't want to give anything away, but the last episode, the sixth episode, essentially catches up to the pandemic. Okay, that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. that's the only one I haven't seen yet. I've watched yeah. the first five. Hunter, you've watched two. I've watched the first two, um, uh, couple. Yeah. The, the show is uh, it's on HBO. It's produced by Nathan Fielder, which is why it was very much on my radar. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and all of ours. Um, And it's produced by him because it has a lot in common with his, you know, his general vibe of of uh filmmaking like, it's so different from nathan no it you. is in a lot of ways but it's it's very interested in the the very very like micro interactions between human beings in real life mm-hmm. which nathan very much is 
um, because John Wilson is a he is a documentarian who lives in New York who has it appears to be years and years of very like well archived and categorized footage of just about everything you could imagine seeing in New York City. Yeah. Um that it's he unbelievable. Yeah, that he has like, you know, documented and archived down to like the word so he can search a word and like a shot will pop up that he shot like a couple years ago or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean there's a thing and I think it's in episode 2 where like he just goes to the building where he used to shoot infomercials for and yeah. they just like show clips or he's just like yeah i just had to film like this arby's commercial <laughs> like, yeah for, exactly. like nine hours um, it went on yeah and this is a guy who just he always has his camera on he just he walks around anything he's doing in new york city he is also like he has his eye out to see like what can i shoot mm. um and this is it is like a comedic show it's very funny there are a lot of written jokes which I saw someone on Twitter say this, which I agreed with. No one had mentioned that in like in pre-production for the show. It was never mentioned that this is an intentionally funny show um, because the pitch for it sounds like it's like humans of New York. Right. Um, it just sounds like a guy who is just like meeting people. And he is. This is just like a very strange man who has his camera on and sort of is willing to go wherever people are willing to take him. Like if if he meets someone very interesting and that person is willing to just like let him continue filming, he will just keep going with that person. There's so much magic that comes from that. Exactly. That's, that's the Nathan for you aspect yeah. is when like Nathan knows how to change an episode on the fly. Like he knows how to just like, okay, this needs like, I need to spend more time with yes, this person yeah. to learn more. So about this, them. yeah, this is a dude who just like lets people cook sometimes. And it's really incredible. It's a show that, um, it's hard to kind of describe like you you did a, a good job just now, but it, you kind of just have to watch it. Yeah, I mean, it's just like it's people watching at its finest. Yeah, like, just but <laughs> it's not just like what he's filming. It's how it's cut together mm -hmm. and how he narrates the footage. <laughs> yeah, it's, basically it's, it's all first person and he's narrating. Yeah, essentially it. every line that he says in narration, because every episode has a singular theme, like how to improve your memory or one episode is called how to cook the perfect risotto. It can be about anything, but every single line of narration has a corresponding shot that represents what he's saying in some abstract way, like yeah. in a metaphorical way. It yet, gets really profound. Yeah, sometimes. it really does. Like he, cause he just has shots that, of everything. So yeah. there'll be a shot that it, it is, it qualifies as a joke also because it is a, you know, it, like I said, it's a metaphor. It's an A to C thing where it's representing what he's saying without actually being it. But also uh, it can get like, yeah, it can get strangely deep at like extremely like minor moments. Yeah, in the, show. the way he's able to observe human behavior and just the city of New York, too, and the strange things you find there. Um, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. And there's one episode in particular. I don't want to give it away, but uh, Drew, you saw episode four, right? How mm -hmm. to cover your furniture. Mm -hmm. There's there's a sequence in this episode that is some of the most horrifying imagery I've uh, seen. It probably my entire life. I've but been... there's there's so many like little moments like that in this show. Just while he's just because he's a guy who, like y'all said, like he just always has the camera on. There's one point I think it's in episode one where it's about um 
I can't remember what the the bit. Oh, it was how to make small talk, but it's just him like talking and like trying to like get this whole thing about like you have to know like when you can open up to people and like when to get like too personal and stuff. And like while he's talking, it's paramedics pulling a dead body out of a house, and one of the paramedics drops the body. <laughs> like it's just a whole shit like that that he gets. Yeah, it's a weird show because it's a comedy, but like it's not like always laugh out loud funny it's more yeah. like i just cannot take my eyes well, off the screen i'm so encapsulated in everything that i'm seeing the the other biggest difference between this and uh nathan for you because this is also um co-created by michael Coleman, who also co-created nathan for you um so you would assume a lot of similarities the other biggest difference is uh an almost total lack of plot in this show right. where whereas nathan for you one reason I think it rubs a lot of people the wrong way in terms of like thinking it's fake is because they are pushing people around in Nathan for you because they're acting like a reality show and reality shows make people act who aren't actors. So that's what Nathan does. And so you get a lot of like single shots of someone being like, hey, why don't you come on in when they wouldn't say that in real life? This is tr this is a lot more, I guess, cinema verite, but like the American version that like doesn't rely so much on like forcing people into situations it's really just letting them do anything and There's, it is kind of like something like a like an eric andre prank style thing but not not in it, it prank isn't the right because no, it's not the prank it's it's not a prank it's just like it is willing to laugh at people if they're willing to be crazy yeah. <laughs> like i mean eric andre's on a different spectrum because yeah. his editing and like his the elaborate shit yeah. that he puts up is is not what john wilson's doing but the idea of like people you just put a camera in front of somebody when five seconds ago they were just minding their own business yeah like that's not what nathan is doing for mm -hmm. the most part nathan is like he's luring people into mm -hmm. his trap <laughs> this is like let me just kind of see what's out there and whatever I capture, yeah. I capture. And I, I watched an interview with John Wilson that was really interesting. He did with Vulture, I think. Um, it's on YouTube. Uh, and Michael Komen was also in on this interview. And uh, John Wilson said that one of the things that Nathan Fielder was really adamant about in this show is that every single episode has to have at least one moment where the audience is going to say, I cannot believe they shot that. Yeah, and, and it does. Yeah, and well, there are certain ones where it has exactly one moment where you're like, wow, that's why I watch it. Yeah. You know, like, uh, and that really does add a lot because the show can, in, in its like thinner episodes, it can just lean on this like incredible archive of footage that John has with his narration. And the like, juxtaposition of some, some shots to yeah. each other, it's like... It's wildly watchable. I, I can't eat, I would have never thought in a million years to like cut from one thing to the other. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it amazing. is it is kind of funny how a show without narration, like how they do... I like how he is still able to string together like a cohesive episode of television like without getting away with anything like episode two is about scaffolding and you're like there's a point while you're watching the episode where you're like you completely forget that you are watching an episode about scaffolding until it becomes exactly about scaffolding and you're like oh my god what is like how did the odds of this just working out just happen to mm -hmm. fall this way? And profound. It's, he makes a point about like why we're why we try to cover the beautiful things that we make. It's it's a genius show. It's one of my favorite shows of the year, even with it being uh so limited in its number of episodes. Also, especially if you're including uh a special treat for people. Nate uh Drew, you sent this to the uh 
group chat the anatomy of a scene the anatomy of a scene for the bread scene that's on youtube right now you can just watch how to with john wilson um anatomy of a scene it is fucking incredible nathan fielder is in it and it's just it's some of the most genius shit that i have seen all year yeah but yeah john wilson's a very interesting man and i anything else he makes i'm gonna watch like i'm a fan permanently of this man he's so cool i really hope that he's able to make more of this it's only six episodes but i would watch so many more it's how to a john wilson on hbo speaking of hbo i finally got around to watching euphoria um eight hour long episodes with um two little uh sort of pandemic special in between episodes because the pandemic has postponed season two uh coming out within the next couple weeks uh, so really looking forward to that. Um, and uh, I am just floored by this mm-hmm. show. Like I fucking devoured it. All eight episodes in the span of two days. Lee and I just sat down and, and could not stop watching it. it. I do have a question. How are you doing mentally after that? Because especially the first few episodes, it can, uh, yeah. it can be intense. It's a, <laughs> it's it's a, a lot. lot. It's a lot. Binge. But it's it's very watchable. I mean, yeah. It gets into some heavy subject matter, but it is without a doubt one of the best directed television shows I've ever seen. Like it looks so, so cinematic. It looks mm-hmm. so good. The lighting, the camera work. Holy shit. There's some like expert level filmmaking. I know, the, I know the soundtrack oh, yes. is really great too. The soundtrack's amazing. That The performances are great. Um, the writing, I think, gets a little soap opery at times just because of the subject matter, you know, kind of high school drama type of stuff. Um, but they, you know, they need to appeal to a young audience. So they have to make these these young people very uh, alluring and attractive and intriguing and interesting. So it is a little like overly heightened at times. And some of the characters look like they, they just walked off of a Calvin Klein photo shoot. It is, but it also plays into that a yeah. little bit with well, some of the themes and everything else that the show is getting across. The 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 characters are all really well-written. Like the character work that comes through and, and then the performances are, are as well are all stellar. Like you think... All of these characters you think would fit into this like archetypal box of like, okay, this is the jock. This is the weirdo. This is the evil villain dad guy. Um, They don't they don't adhere to the molds that other shows have established and like the general conversation of like. TV characters and movie characters and like what we expect from a coming of age high school tale and the types of characters you'd expect to see in that. They start out from that, but they take on a whole nother life through the performances and through some pretty nuanced writing. I mean, I'm thinking about the the dad character. God, um, it's the the dad is like I'm I'm specifically uh Nick's dad. Yes, or Nate. Yeah. Nate's Nate, dad. Nate's dad. Um that is a, is a character that could easily be just like the evil villain of the show. And they don't write him that way. Like they don't take the easy route with mm-hmm. that character and they make him a lot more nuanced than you have to. Right. They almost make you try to sympathize with him at certain points. You're also kind of like, fuck you. I don't, I don't want to sympathize with this person. Like, I mean, you brought up the writing and the direction. It's all, 
uh, Sam Levinson, Barry Levinson's son, um, writes every episode and he directs all but the first episode. And I, I, I sang the praise of this. This was on my top 10 of the year last year because of everything you're saying about the look and the story is very compelling. It's just kind of stuff that you don't see for a teen drama. And the cast is unbelievably I mean, good. Zendaya and Hunter Schaefer are incredible. They're so good. I love, love both of them. And Jacob Alordi, who plays Nate, is yeah. like <laughs> that, that guy without like... spoiling anything about like where his character arc goes, like he does an incredible job. You think he's just like a pretty boy who just got the job because he looks like, you know, like a stock, like handsome guy. Um, He can fucking act, man. Yeah. He's really talented. Also, um, to connect this to um, how to uh, with Nathan Fielder, Alexa Demi is also in here as uh, Maddie. She is great. If I can plug another podcast, oh, yeah. there is a podcast that Nathan Fielder did with Alexa Demi on the A24 podcast. That's a great, yep. Great, great, great episode. Um, do give a plug to that. I love this show. I really hope that they're able to make season two. I'm excited for the two little episodes that we get here. But again, if you if you just want a really well put together show, really well made show where every component just kind of excels I can't recommend this thing enough. It is so, so good. If you are a parent of children, it might be difficult to watch <laughs> yes. and think about what your children are up to. I just I just kept thinking, like, I'm not going to have fucking kids. <laughs> they get fucking addicted it, to drugs and do stupid shit. There is definitely that element, but it is pretty fantastical, too. Like, it is it's so overindulgent, but in, like, the best possible kind of way. So uh, if you are a parent... um watch it but uh maybe just don't have your kids watch it with you mm, yeah definitely not <laughs> definitely not also just shout out to the editing um i think that you know when we talk about editing we usually think about like movies and tv shows usually don't lean as much on like stylized editing but this show just kind of does some really really crazy stuff with editing lots of like kind of non-linear storytelling um again it just looks phenomenal it's euphoria um, a couple other things I have here. The Crown season four what? on what? Netflix. What? I had never seen an episode of this show before. <laughs> and I took a page from David Chen on the Slash film, film cast. He did this and he just put on season four cold. And I was like, I'm going to do that. Why not? Lee is super into the story of, of Diana, Princess Diana. Um, and so this is the season of the show that like introduces her into the story. Uh, obviously, this is the the crown. If you're not familiar, is a dra dramatization of Queen Elizabeth II's reign as Queen of England, uh, and it sort of skips forward in time throughout its seasons. And now in season four, it's like in the 80s, um, and so Diana is introduced into the story. Um, this is a really watchable show. I don't know if I'd call it like a great show, but in it, what Netflix is so good at doing now, they have this down to a science. The shit is just so watchable. Mm. You just put it on and it's just good. It's just flat. Is good. it produced by Netflix? Yeah, it's a Netflix mm. original. Wow. Um, well, a couple things I really liked about this show is that like it, it doesn't 
over glamorize the royal family too much. Like obviously it has to depict them in a realistic way that has to be glamorous to an extent. But I don't know if this is the case for all the past seasons because I haven't seen them, but they do a good job at making these people look like pretty despicable and broken. Um, and the 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 acting and the performances are all on par with what you'd want from a story like this that that has this drama and gravitas to it. The people that they get to play, Charles and Diana, are good and just everybody's great. Um, what's her name? Um, um our queen from the favorite Olivia Coleman. Yeah, she plays um Queen Elizabeth. She's amazing. Um, Jillian Anderson plays Margaret Thatcher. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, I don't know what the hell is going on here. This seems like an SNL uh skit. But she sticks with it. She leans into her choice and it ends up working. Um, There's one episode in particular that really stood out to me that kind of deviates from the main story from the main cast. And it tells a story of a guy who snuck into Buckingham Palace in the middle of the night. Just this commoner. Um, And the, the, the show just like takes a whole episode to just center the story around this guy who wanders in and nobody catches him until he's in the bedroom with the queen. And it's something that actually happened. Uh, that one really stood out to me. But, you know, I came to this to to see how they would do the whole Diana thing. They didn't get to her death. That'll be in season five. So I'll probably stick around and see how they do that. Princess Diana's dead. They're going to yeah. kill her off. Shit. Yeah. Spoilers. Oh my God. Fuck. I'm sorry. Fuck. Well, now I'm not going to watch it. And the the show doesn't like completely center its story around that. It does like, you know, it touches on a lot of different things. But when it is about that, when it is about um, everything that the royal family does to alienate people and to uh, kind of put a target on their back and and talk shit and more than talk shit to really like kind of ruin their lives. Um, they, they do a, the show does a really good job at kind of communicating that story and, and really digging into like why these people are so horrible and why they would get to the point where a woman is as good and as kind as Diana um, would be broken and eventually mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard to uh understate to like our generation and every generation after like what princess diana was um you have to hear from like your mom or something yeah <laughs> because i mean it's like anything from back then like the oj case or whatever monoculture like the power of monoculture back then was unparalleled like we think game of thrones had its hold on us no 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 dude i think like a billion people watched her wedding yes to Prince Charles. it was the only thing going yeah. <laughs> on monoculture means one thing was allowed to happen at once <laughs> in the world yeah and she was the one thing for like a while yeah um, so that, yeah, it is. I like everyone's talking about this season in particular because partially because of the Diana thing and then otherwise, because like the show is just, you know, cause it's on Netflix. It just, yeah, it's it, just accu- it just accumulates, yeah, it accumulates viewers because no one, uh, can say it's bad. Like if you watch it, you're going to like it, you know, well made. did you have any kind of issue jumping in on season four? Or Not at all. Of, okay. Not at all. I mean, at I first, mean, they do like, they do time jump in between seasons to the point where they just like recast characters yeah, often in between seasons. part of the pitch i yeah. think um i mean i'm not somebody who's like 
aware of a lot of these like like princess anne or like like i I don't know the royal family so i had to kind of like do some catch-up on that sense because i was like wait who's that who's that like Charles is that ugly motherfucker who looks like he is like he should be on the British flag. Well, he's the, so British looking. The actor that they cast is not that ugly. Well, it's, it's hard to find someone as ugly as Charles. <laughs> His eyes are like touching. <laughs> it's outrageous. Actually, go back and look at pictures of Charles back when he was like a young man. Could he he actually it? wasn't that bad. You know, he's in the Epstein flight logs. <laughs> no way. Are you serious? Pretty sure. <laughs> You're right. I just looked up a picture of Charles, and his eyes are so close together. Yeah. Dear God, yeah. British like British people just. Do you have think? Close do you think that eyes, like man. Anya Taylor Joy and Prince Charles have beef <laughs> of the amount of space that should exist no. in between eyes? He can fit his eyes in between her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? Right? That's uh, the Crown season four. It's on Netflix. Last thing I got on here is Leon the Professional. Um, mm-hmm. Had never seen it before. You guys seen this movie with Natalie Portman? No, I know it's a um, classic Halloween costume between uh, problematic boyfriends and girlfriends. Mm -hmm. I've seen, I've seen, uh, was it Valerian? I've seen parts of that. Yeah, the other Luc Besson. Luc Besson. (laughs) So is Jean Reno uh, as a hitman who befriends a young girl, uh, Natalie Portman, in her first role ever? So Mm -hmm. this was before Star Wars, um, before you know all of that. Uh, Gary Oldman going off the fucking rails unhinged. Like I am ready a lot back in the day. I am ready for Mank. I don't know if he's like (laughs) in his old age, if he's ready to, to go like as uncaged, like him in true romance. He went fucking, he was, he played like a white guy with dreads and shit. Like he was crazy. Yeah. He used to go nuts. Dude, his role in this movie, he plays like a crooked cop. Um, like a crooked DEA agent, it is like at like eleven out of four capacity. Mm. It is insane what he's doing. <laughs> um, the movie like is a really good action movie, like really well done action sequences. But <laughs> the relationship between uh, Natalie Portman's Matilda and Leon is like extremely off putting. In most scenes, especially as it really gets going, um, because you think it's like, oh, it's like it's like subdued that like they that she's a young girl and that he's a lonely man. And then it becomes like in very much the foreground of the movie Mm. that it's like a romantic relationship. Oh, boy. Um, She's like 12. Oh, oh, Uh, boy. I mean, it's French. (laughs) I mean, the movie is does, is, does not take place in Europe. It is very much in the United States. <laughs> um, so the the movie goes from like implying it to like overly stating it, and it's a it's a tough hang a little bit when you're thinking like, what the fuck, look, Basson? What what is the point of you? Like, you could just have a good action movie, um with a young child in one of the lead roles. Like you don't have Mm -hmm. to make it weird, but he has to fucking make it weird. And then you're left with like a weird taste in your mouth uh, after watching this movie. Cause you're like, why the hell did they have to expose this young Natalie Portman to this horrible shit in this movie? Um, So, 
you know, it is a little bit of like a cult classic. Um, it earns its place, I think, just in terms of like the the quality of the performances and the quality of the action. But just that tinge of like, it's like trying to watch Manhattan now. Yeah, where it's just like Woody Allen is explicitly talking about how he likes to have relationships with young women and stuff like that, and you're like, oh boy, yeah, this is not aged great. I mean, it's it's 1994. It's not like it's it's an this is an ancient movie, but. <laughs> I don't know. The other, the only other thing I'll say is uh, Danny Aiello mm-hmm. of. Um, oh yeah, we love some do Danny right, Aiello. Do the right thing. Of every New York City pizza place. He's so the that's wall. the thing. In this movie, he also plays a an Italian restaurant yes. owner. So Hell you yes. gotta have him. He rocks. That's the best kind of typecasting. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's it for ketchup. I think that's it for the episode. Unless we have anything else. Uh, no, I'll uh, give I did uh, just for the listeners out there who were very concerned um, <laughs> that they did reach out to me last week and mm-hmm. say, like, I'm very sorry that you were unable to secure the bag. I want you all to know that it is OK. I was able to secure the bag uh, plug to Ant online uh, where I was able to secure the bag. Uh, shout out to that place. They're the best. <laughs> fucking love my ps5 i'll have more words on this next week good thank you for listening um we have a little fincher slash citizen kane episode coming at you um and then david fincher's new movie mank uh and then beyond that it's the end of the year and (laughs) then we got listomania so stick around thanks for listening please like subscribe share rate review uh let us know what you thought email us unsubscribe. recommend the show all unsubscribe that unsubscribe and stuff. resubscribe because that'll mm-hmm. help our numbers yeah feed into the algorithm um oh congratulations to us for putting out 6099 <laughs> minutes of music yeah, hell yeah or of content this hell year. yeah um, that's over 100 hours yeah we do it for you we're almost at the ten thousand hour rule if we try a little bit harder then i think we might all actually already oh i'm sure that we we've yeah. been doing this now for three years yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if we did 100 hours this year then that means we're at ten thousand hours right <laughs> <laughs> if you do that math <laughs> bye bye bye